0: If you will go to Colossians chapter one, I'm be in verses 21 through 23 this morning. And uh, the title of the message is "Gospel Basics." Uh, and so, basically, this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to talk the gospel. Um, now, so far in Colossians, we have uh, we've talked about uh, how Paul has never probably been to Colossae, um, how he met a couple of men from the church, Epaphras and Onesimus while he was in prison, probably in Rome. And they tell him about uh, the city of Colossae, the church there, and the believers and some of the struggles they're having. And so Paul writes this letter uh, to encourage them and, uh, and to address some of this uh, false teaching that they're, that, that they're being attacked with. Um, he begins with a prayer, telling them he, that he prays for them regularly, uh, that they might be strengthened with all power, According to his glorious might, for all endurance and for patience with joy. And then last week, uh, we looked at this hymn that he breaks out into. Just breaks out into uh, kind of spontaneous praise as he's praying for the Colossians. Um, he says that he talks about uh, that Christ is before all things and he's the creator of all things. And then he goes from the cosmic level where he talks about uh, all things were, were created by him thrones, dominions, powers, and authorities. And then he goes down to the local level. He's the head of the body, the church, and then back to the cosmic uh, and, and sort of the gospel on, on this cosmic level, the big level, that he has reconciled uh, to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. And then this morning, verses 21 through 23, he's going to come back to the local level and bring the gospel to individuals and the, the implications that it has um, on us as as individual people. Now, all throughout Paul's letters, in, in almost every single one of his letters, we see him telling the gospel to people who know the gospel. He's preaching the gospel to believers. Now, to us, that might seem a little weird because we, we tend to think um, that the gospel is for non-believers, right? That it's, it's those people who don't know Jesus who need the gospel. And what we see in Paul's letters is that he's Constantly preaching the gospel to people who know the gospel, reminding them of what the gospel is and that uh, reminding us that it's not just for non-believers. It's not just for the lost. It's for those who are saved. Um, a, a good example of this is uh, 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, if you want to turn there, that you can. We're going to be back there in just a little bit. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. Uh, he says this, now I would remind you, brothers, alright, brothers, so he's talking to believers, brothers and sisters in Christ. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, okay, so past tense, you, you received, you were saved, in which you stand, that's present tense, so you, you're a believer, you were saved by the gospel, you received it, and now you stand in the gospel, and by which you are being saved. Okay, so the gospel for us doesn't end the moment we accept Christ. It continues, and it's the very thing that sustains us. Um, Martin Luther, of course, the, uh, the great uh, reformer, um, week after week after week to his congregation, he would preach the gospel. And after a while, he had some of his folks come up to him and say, uh, why, why is it that all you're ever preaching to us is the gospel? We're all believers. We've all been saved. We know the gospel. Can't we move on to something else? And, and his response to them is interesting. He said, week after week after week, I see people coming into our church who, don't, who look like they don't believe the gospel. He said, so I'm going to continue preaching the gospel until it starts to sink in, until you start to get it. Okay, um, I, I would take that a step further, and I would say, really, in the end, there's nothing that we can preach other than the gospel, because everything has its root in the gospel, in that uh, which you received, you were saved, in which you stand, I am saved, I am being saved, that, that big word that we like to call sanctification, and then um, By which you are being saved, and that future tense that I will be saved. All right? So so that's the gospel for us. The gospel doesn't end for you. The moment that you accept Christ, it continues. Uh, So let's go to Colossians chapter 1. After all that introduction, now we get to the the main part here. Um, Let's stand together as we read this together. Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. And you. Who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word this morning, and I pray that you show us. Uh, what the gospel means. That it would have um, deep implications for our lives as believers. And Father, if there's anyone in here who, who's never accepted Christ, that, that the gospel would click this morning, maybe for the first time. Um, we ask all this in your, in your name. Amen. All right, you can have a seat. Um, so this morning, these, these verses kind of uh, close out this prayer that Paul has been praying for the Colossians since, really since verse 3. Um, and, and so, uh, the, the last thing he prays for them is, is he, he tells them that he prays this gospel uh, over them, okay? The first thing he says is this, you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Um, now, the Bible pretty clearly teaches that before we come to Christ, We are not simply indifferent to him, okay? It's not just God, yeah, whatever, I I don't really care. That that might be the attitude we have. What the Bible says is that is really, in its nature, hostility towards God, okay? Um, For instance, um, Romans chapter 1, verses 21 through 23, um, says this. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of God for immortal uh, the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creepy things. All right, so it says they didn't honor Him or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts. Were darkened. So, so to the Romans, he's saying that their their hearts and their minds were actually darkened. And and all through Scripture, we see this we see this parallel between light um, being. um, It says, "God is light, and him is no darkness at all." So we have this light represents God and represents good, and darkness represents evil and, and sin. And so he says, their foolish hearts were darkened; they were turned towards evil. So before. We came. We came to Christ before you came to Christ. It's not saying that you were indifferent to God. It's actually saying you were an enemy of God. Um, that's pretty. That's pretty tough language, right? But but again, we see this. Uh, we see this pattern that you're either on one side or the other. There's no riding the fence, um, like we like we talked about. Last week, um, where either you submit to the lordship of Christ or you rebel from the lordship. There's no, there's no middle ground. You're you're on, you're on one side or the other, and that's what he's going to say this morning. Um, once you were alienated from God, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Uh, now, when he says mind, he's it's not referring simply to thoughts. Um, for them, uh, the mind would have been kind of like when we say our heart. So the seat of our emotions, um, the kind of the center of who we are. Uh, So when he says their minds were hostile, it goes deeper than simply thinking deeper thoughts. It goes into matters of the heart. Um, They were actually hostile to him in their very beings, not just thinking bad things. Um, And then because they were alienated, they did evil deeds. Now, let me let me camp out here just for a minute. You are not a sinner because you commit sins. You commit sins because you are a sinner. And There's, there's a difference there. Um, and here's what I mean by that. I think so often we, we focus on the sins, um, which are the symptoms of the larger disease, which is this sin nature that, uh, that indwells each of us, okay? So um, So I don't... I don't realize that I'm a sinner just because I do bad things. What, what we have to realize is that I am bent towards doing evil because of my sin nature. So let's apply that to the world. Um, the, the, and look, there, there are lots of problems. There are lots of things we can camp out on and, and talk about. Um, and if you go to a lot of churches, you will hear um, preaching against one form of sin or another. But here's what we need to realize. The real issue In our world today, it is not homosexuality, it's not alcohol, it's not adultery. The real issue in our world is sin. All these other issues are symptoms of the disease. You don't cure a disease by treating the symptoms. Uh, Case in point. In 2001, uh, right before my dad was diagnosed with lymphoma, we were out playing tennis one day, and, um, and we got done, and he said, he said, Kyle, he said, I, just, he said, I couldn't run. He's like, it, my legs wouldn't work, and he said, it's like a dream where you're trying to run and your legs just won't work. He said, that's exactly what it felt like, that, that my legs just wouldn't work, and so he went to physical therapy, and they kind of worked on his back, and um, for a little while he got to feeling better, and then about a week later it came back, and, and through several months process the the final uh, diagnosis was that he had lymphoma and what happened was one of these lymph lymph nodes was pushing on his spinal cord and uh, pushing on one of his nerves and making it difficult for him to move. Now treating the symptom, treating the, the, the pain in his back was not going to take care of the cancer. In order to in in order to get rid of the disease they had to go do something deeper and I think that's the way it is in our world treating these symptoms going after going after sin in whatever arena it might present itself um, going sorry going after sins let me let me let me clarify that going after these individual sins is not the answer we've got to go at the root of the disease which is sin and the only answer to that is to be reconciled as we're going to see here um, in verse 22. Uh, So let's go there. Verse 22. Uh, So it just said, You were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Verse 22. He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Um, So, just like the main problem in our world is not these individual symptoms of this disease called sin, the main solution is not to go after these individual sins, okay? So you hear a lot of talk about, um, well, we need to, um, uh, we need to uh, go back to making alcohol illegal. That didn't work the first time, okay? Um, we need to, uh, we need to address uh, homosexuality. We need to address adultery. We need to uh, make pornography illegal. Okay, that's not the answer. That's trying to cure symptoms. The answer is we need to bring sinners to the Savior. And I think as we've seen, I already talked about the the alcohol issue. You can't legislate morality, right? We can't rely on the government to take care of these things. We've got to take the gospel to the world. We've got to bring sinners to the Savior. That's the only answer. He is reconciled in his body by his flesh uh, of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Now he talks about the body of flesh by his death. Um, One of these false teachings that was coming up is is a form, maybe, of something that's called Gnosticism, which was kind of a weird, um, it was a weird belief that all physical matter is evil. So they would believe that the pew you're sitting in, because it's physical, is somehow inherently evil, okay? Um, also, your, your physical body, because it's, it's physical, is inherently evil, and the only way to, um, to overcome that evil is to transcend it somehow through this special knowledge of God that we're not sure how you get, but you've got to get it in order to, to become whole. Um, so what, what they would say then is that Christ, um, because he was holy, could not have been holy and, and lived in a physical body because all physical matter is evil. And so he just appeared as a man, kind of as this uh, mirage as a man. He, didn't, he looked like he died, but he didn't really. And Paul here says, no, he died in his body of flesh. Uh, he reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. Okay, So he, he brings forth this idea of Jesus' physical Death. Uh, this is what it means in the book of Hebrews when it says that he became a man um, and that he, he was uh, tempted in every way, just like we are, yet was without sin. He, he really became a physical man, all of God, indwelling man. Um, through his death, his physical death, he was able to reconcile us in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach. Now, just think about that. Just think about where he was. Alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds now holy, blameless and above reproach Um, the the, the great thing about this is that God doesn't wait for us to clean ourselves up when when we come to God he doesn't say okay um, I think I can use you um, and I think I can forgive you but first there's some work that's got to be done so uh, you go back All right, go back home, read your Bible, pray a little bit uh, clean yourself up, then come back and, and we'll talk. Um, the Bible says really clearly, Romans 5, 8, um, God shows his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He took the initiative. He didn't wait for us to clean ourselves up. He, he took that initiative. Um, in order that he might present us holy... Um, 1 Peter 1 15 quotes the Old Testament and says as he who called you is holy you also be holy in all your conduct all right so he has placed this call on our lives that we would be holy and, and here's the great thing about it he makes us holy through Christ's sacrifice on the cross he presents us holy he presents us blameless and above reproach um, Now, this idea is that um, we should live as holy people because we have been made holy. You've been forgiven, therefore, you should live like you're forgiven. When he talks about being blameless and above reproach, that that doesn't mean perfect. And and we need to get this idea of perfection out of our minds because it's not going to happen. Okay, you're not going to be perfect in this life. It's not going to happen. What this blameless and above reproach means, um, kind of like in, in the Old Testament when it talks about Noah and Noah was blameless, means that nobody had anything on him. He, he was a good guy. Doesn't mean he was perfect. Doesn't mean that he, he never sinned. It means that, that to those around him, he was above reproach. He was a man of integrity. Um, that's the idea. And, and, and the image here that we'd be blameless. Is, um, is the idea of a courtroom and being brought before a judge um, and being acquitted of all charges. So that on Judgment Day then, is this, is this picture, on Judgment Day when, when you, if you've accepted Christ as Lord and Savior, are brought before Christ, um, He will look at you and say, I find no charge here because you've been forgiven through the blood of Christ. Your slate has been Wiped clean. Um, Then we get to verse 23, which is a little bit difficult. Um, and, and And I'll explain why here in just a minute. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now this can sound like, if, 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 we, if we don't read this in, in its right context, this can sound like he's saying, you've got to um, stand firm in your faith or else you can fall away. Now, the rest of the Bible teaches pretty clearly that, that if you are saved, you cannot lose that salvation. Um, Romans eight thirty eight 38 uh, pretty much lays out, um, for neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons um, neither powers, nor rulers, nor authorities, and, and it goes on and lists everything, none of that stuff can separate us from the love of God. Uh, Romans 8, 1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, okay? Those are, those are pretty clear that you cannot lose your salvation. Now, that's, a, that's one of the major Baptist doctrines, one of the major things that we believe is what's called perseverance of the saints, and that once you've been forgiven in Christ, that forgiveness cannot be taken away. And I'm glad about that. Right? I'm glad I don't have to wake up every morning going, "Am I saved today? Is that is that really a?" Or or every time I sin, "Oh, I blew it." Lord, uh, put my faith and trust in you, and uh, I'm sorry for all the bad things I've done. Okay, we we don't have to we don't have to do that because, at the moment of salvation, the moment you were forgiven, the Bible makes pretty clear you were forgiven past, present, and future sins and think about that. He forgives all the stuff you hadn't even done yet. Um, So there's there's security there. He's not saying you can fall away. What he's saying is this. um, As forgiven people, we must stand in the gospel. The gospel is what sustains us. This idea of of I was saved, and, and that's where, like I said, that's where we camp out so much, right? You hear so many... You ask so many believers what their testimony is. Well, I walked an aisle and prayed a prayer when I was eight years old. And? Okay, good. What do you mean, and? I walked an aisle and prayed a prayer and was baptized when I was eight years old. Okay, how are you standing in the gospel? How has has the gospel affected you since that day until now? Because that's your testimony, right? And I think a lot of times we we, want to focus on these big Testimonies. Oh, I was in—I was involved in drugs and, and alcohol, and, and I, I had like five million dollars that I that I lost overnight, and, and then God saved me out of that, and we we praise God for that. Look, what about the what about the kid who was saved when he was eight years old, and has walked in the gospel since then, walked faithfully? Is that not a testimony of God's faithfulness? That, that's kind of my testimony, and that God didn't save me out of a bunch of stuff. I was saved when I was six years old. So, so I. I I don't have a big, exciting story about all the bad stuff that I did before then. But, so my testimony isn't so much that God saved me out of that. My testimony is God saved me from a lot of that. Okay? Um, and so let's go back to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15. Uh, there's a little bit more to verse two that I want to touch on. Now I would remind you, brothers of the gospel... Uh, the gospel I preached to you, which you received, you were saved in which you stand; uh, you are being saved, and by which you are being saved. And that's kind of a, a future tense that, that you are being saved, you will be saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Um, now, again, these are this, this is kind of worded difficult, and it's and it's a little bit difficult to explain. Uh, The the understanding that I got, though, from from my study this week is this. If you are truly saved, if you are uh, a forgiven child of God, you will persevere to the end. So those who are saved will persevere. So so if you've been forgiven, there's no fear of, am I going to make it to the end? Because the idea here is that if you are saved, you will persevere. If you were saved by the gospel, you will stand in the gospel. You'll put your faith and hope and trust in Christ today as much as you did when you walked the aisle, prayed the prayer, got in the baptistry. It's not this idea that we have to be um, re-saved. I don't think there's anything such as re-saved. Um, I think the idea is that we need to make sure that as believers, we put our faith and trust in Christ now as much as ever. So that I stand in the gospel. So that when, when um, life happens, when, when life comes crashing down, and at some point or another it will, our faith is not cut out from underneath us. And I'm sure we've all seen we can see people like that. Um, I've seen them. They have this, uh, the name it, claim it, Idea of the gospel of well, all I've got to do is pray it in Jesus' name, and um, and the cancer will be gone. And then, when it's not, faith is shattered. My faith, my trust, is placed in Christ. It was when I was six, and it is today. So that I know, as I look back on my life, I can see God's faithfulness at work along the way so that today I know that no matter what happens God's grace is enough um, so as we start to close here um, last week we, we talked about how um, there, there are really only two decisions you can make either you will submit to um, Jesus' lordship or you will rebel and, and today we're, we're faced with this idea that there are only two states that you can uh, live in ultimately, and that is that you will be alienated from God or reconciled to God. And if you're alienated, the, uh, like we said this morning, the Bible says that, that you will be hostile in mind toward God. You, you will be hostile. Uh, and the Bible says elsewhere that you will be uh, God's enemies doing evil deeds. And if you're reconciled to Him, you're presented holy blameless, and above reproach. Those are the choices. There's no middle ground. Um, I heard people say one time, I heard, heard one guy say, uh, he was asking if he knew Jesus, and he said, well, the man upstairs and I have an understanding. Oh, really? Explain. <laughs> right? He went on to say, well, I worked out a deal with God a long time ago that I didn't have to go to church, and look, I don't really know how you respond to that other than to say um, you, you, you waltz into I was going to say you waltz into glory um, you show up on judgment day with that story I don't think it's going to fly because there are two sides to this thing you're either alienated or you're reconciled that's it those are the only two choices alienated reconciled separated forgiven so if you haven't accepted Christ, or if, or if you need to know more about that, come talk to us, please. I'd, I'd love to just sit down and, and chat with you for a little bit about, about what it means to be reconciled with God, if you've never heard that um, before, reconciled through the blood of Christ on the cross. So that's the first question. Which camp do you fall into? Are you alienated, or are you reconciled? There's no other, no more important question you'll ever be asked in your life. The second question is for those of us who are believers. And that is, if you have been reconciled to God, are you, as Colossians says, are you continuing in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting shifting from the hope of the gospel? Are you walking? Are you standing in the gospel? I don't want this to be a... I don't think you have to doubt your salvation every morning. Um, On the other hand, I've heard preachers say, well, if you ever have doubts, that means you're not saved. I'm not going to step into that uh, arena either. Um, Here's what I I know. If if you have doubts, sometimes that causes you to start asking some questions and looking deep inside. And and nine times out of ten, the folks that I've encountered who who have started having questions about their salvation will go back and, and look at the Bible and they'll come to one of two conclusions. Either, no, I did not. I, I never really accepted the gospel. I didn't understand it. Or two, they look and they say, I, I did, I accepted the gospel. I accepted Christ as Lord and Savior. Now I know that I can stand firm. If you have questions, come talk to me. I'd love to sit down and, and chat um, about what it means to stand in the gospel and how we can do that. Um, Jean, come lead us this morning. We're going we're gonna to close in prayer. Um, yeah, let's stand together as we do, as we close in prayer and as she comes to lead us. Father, I pray this morning that the gospel would take root. Maybe in some lives, Father, for the first time, um, they understood that what it means to be reconciled instead of alienated Um, but God maybe for for most of us in here it's just a reminder that that the gospel is what we stand in it's what what sustains us from day to day this idea that we have been forgiven and we can live as forgiven people Uh, so God if if that's the case remind us of the gospel and of it's implications for us even as believers that it's not just for those who've never accepted Christ before I've prayed this before, and I pray again that you would make us gospel people, uh, folks whose lives are so um, consumed by you, by love for you, by the gospel, that that we would share it with those we come in contact with, uh, that we would scatter seeds, that you would make those seeds grow. We ask all this in your name. Amen.